0: That's one of probably my favorite thing when I travel around the world is that you realize that you can feed pigs and raise pigs a lot of different ways and there is no one magic way or one set of ingredients that has to be used. Um, But each ingredient and piece that we put into a diet, we have to think how they fit together in terms of the overall production goals uh, for the system that you're working with.
1: It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine it podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Genesis, the first power in genetics. Merck Animal Health, driven by prevention. Ivonik, we're sciencing the global food challenge. AB Vista new nutritional perspectives, and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Every pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Justall, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adaseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in a high quality, safe, and sustainable way. NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Minitube, The worldwide leading supplier of systems for the field of assisted animal reproduction
2: welcome to the swine it podcast show i am laura greiner your host for today's episode
1: this episode's sponsor highlight is about ab vista an animal nutrition technology company offering innovative products and new applications for the swine industry the combination of ab vista enzymes technical services and nutrition expertise provides the industry with new opportunities to further improve production efficiencies. Fiber is receiving renewed interest due to its influence on the microbiome, and AB Vista has brought together research experts to discuss the industry's knowledge of fiber functionality and to introduce a biotic targeted to improve fiber digestion. To request access, contact Nam at abvista.com.
2: everyone, and welcome to our 100th edition of the Swine It podcast. I'm your host for today, Dr. Laura Greiner, and with me, I have Dr. Mike Tokash from Kansas State University. Mike, how are you today?
0: Doing great. Thank you, Laura.
2: Wonderful. Well, it's certainly a warm day in Iowa. It's probably the same in Kansas about now. Um, But we're certainly glad to have you on the, the podcast today, especially celebrating the 100th podcast.
0: It's a pleasure to be here, especially on the 100th episode.
2: Yes, wonderful. Well, glad to have you. Um, For our audience, Dr. Tokash, would you mind taking just a minute or two and and giving them a little bit of background about who you are and, and what you're up to these days?
0: Sure. I'm a swine nutritionist at Kansas State University, and my role here is in the extension and research side. And so I work with graduate students and with our swine producers and and uh, overall goals of, of trying to provide information to help the producers be more profitable. And My background, I, I grew up in North Dakota and on a, a livestock operation where we had pigs, but mostly beef cattle. And then I, after finishing up at North Dakota State University for my undergrad, I got my my master's at Kansas State, and then my PhD at the University of Minnesota before I was fortunate enough to be hired back here at Kansas State University into a position. And now I've been here, un- unbelievably for me, but it's been here now right at 30 years.
2: Wow, I did not realize that. Well, that's wonderful. <laughs> well, you've certainly been a great attribute to the swine industry and a wonderful resource over the years. Um, one of the things that I know you've been working on lately is is really a a point around a swine nutrition audit. And as we were discussing, you know, swine nutrition audits can go a lot of different directions, but I think this is a really interesting concept. So could you first talk a little bit about what the swine nutrition audit is?
0: Yes, we, we developed a program several years ago, and I use the framework of this whenever I get asked to review a nutrition program uh, for a particular producer or for a production company. And and really, the the audit has many different uh, f- parts to it. Uh, you know, most of those happen before you ever set foot in a in a pig barn or, or into the feed mill. But those are also pieces of the of the audit. Uh, probably the first thing, as as I always think about when I look at diets and talking to producers, is they usually uh, you know think in any one part of the world that diets are set up in a certain way or in certain ingredients. And and I, that's one of probably my favorite thing when I travel around the world is that you realize that you can feed pigs and raise pigs a lot of different ways and there is no one magic way or one set of ingredients that has to be used Um, but each ingredient and piece that we put into a diet we have to think how they fit together in terms of the overall production goals uh, for the system that you're working with
2: yeah i think that's really interesting when you go i mean obviously you've been around lots of production systems around the world How do you start that process of determining a goal and and what types of goals do you typically hear from production systems or from independent producers?
0: that is the right place to start is you do need to understand what the goals are for that producer or for that system obviously in most cases the goal is is to be the most profitable and and so you're you really want to look at profitability and and how we usually try to measure that is from as a nutritionist is really the, the margin over feed cost as being one of the the, the major uh, drivers that, that we can get our hands around and it's it's a good proxy to for the net profitability Um but you wanna make sure of course that that includes all of the variables that, that uh, need to be included in it. Uh, facility costs and what impact that may have and changes that you with, with your throughput um, and the growth rate that you may be driving with the nutrition program, the impacts on mortality or the impacts on lean premiums or, and that all, all of course have to be taken into account. But but that that's probably the, you know, I would say in most people think about it from the profitability side, but once you start really talking to producers, you realize that for some of them, profitability is obviously very important, but there are other goals that they think about and that they have in the back of their mind. And, and each of them, those are have different levels of priority. I work with some producers that are willing to give up a little bit in profitability in order to have the best production numbers. They are really fixated on having the highest average daily gain or the uh, best cell productivity. And you wanna approach things just a little differently as a nutritionist if that's really a very important piece of of their DNA and what they wanna get done. or the other side is, is is you have some that, that are are really focused mostly on the feed cost per pound of gain. And, and that obviously is a very important part and most times matches up with profitability, but not always. And and so if somebody is really focused on feed cost per pound of gain, again, there's some of the things that may drive growth rate that we may not do if they really want to drive costs down really hard.
2: Yeah, I think that's really a, a good point because I think we've we talk about that a lot everybody's goals are going to be different based on even you know their contracts for marketing or how their marketing integrated versus non and and you mentioned before even you know niche marketing and, and yes. that might influence it as well right
0: that's exactly right yeah niche markets and and we see a, a, a... A few of those, and probably the major ones that I deal with are are the antibiotic-free uh, type programs, or the no antibiotics ever, the NAE programs, uh, where you may put some things in the diet uh, that that I wouldn't have in a normal situation to try to uh, to uh, help uh, reduce mortality, especially when you have uh, uh, the high uh, margins that some of those pigs are able to attain. Similarly, the uh, have a few producers that deal with the white tablecloth market, and and they have a, a you know, smaller producers that are are going for a very high scale market. There's some things that they sometimes will will put in their diets as part of the story. And when you're raising story pork, Mm -hmm. not not things that we think about sometimes in in the commodity business, but that's certainly an important part of, of many producers' lives.
2: Yeah, and one of the things I've heard over the years, too, has been well, my neighbor down the road, this is what he measures and I want to be competitive against them and vice versa, but it may not be the best goal for them. So how do you help a producer that maybe isn't lining up with the correct goals that they should have to be the most profitable or, or to meet some of more of their, their bigger business targets?
0: One of the beauties, I think, of the swine industry is most of our producers are pretty business focused. And so they, they do understand balance sheets pretty well and they understand cost and return. And and so most of the time, if you can take them down to to where the value is coming and and where the cost to to uh, against that value, uh, you can uh, can help steer them in the right direction. But you always do have to uh, understand, again, that that competitive side of of the producer and what they really want to achieve and whether you need to lean your program uh, a little bit. It doesn't mean you have to make major wholesale changes, uh, but there are some, some uh, minor things that you may move in the, in the program in order to hit their numbers, uh, give them the most opportunity to drive in the direction they'd like to be.
2: You, you mentioned numbers. So performance data, of course, is a big metric that, that many of us use, particularly nutritionists, we think along the lines of average daily gain and fee conversion. So when you start to look at performance data, how far back do you look to to be ready for that audit
0: yes that's really when you when you i think about once i know what the goal is of the producer getting a handle on what their numbers are is is really a critical piece I like to look at at, at Well, really like to look at the most current numbers, the last six months. But I also like to have numbers from the last, uh, probably the last two years, at least, to see some level of trend line where they're going and where they've been on on the numbers. Sometimes, if you look at too um, narrow, short term, um, unfortunately, like we're running through right now with some of the purse breaks that we're seeing across the Midwest, you may get a a little bit of a of, of a a wrong picture about a particular production system that their mortality is higher than what what the um, the average of the industry is, an example. When if you look in history, they may be a very low per, uh, mortality system traditionally, and just need to to get uh, the system cleaned up again. And so, so I, I you do want to look at a longer longer term, but also take a, a short term view at, at just the most recent stuff. And and in that, you know, besides all the the uh, performance numbers on the the closeouts on nurseries and finishers, um, and and where their mortalities and removals uh, are at, you know, obviously the sow productivity numbers and weaning weights and age and 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 having a, a good handle on what their costs have been, um, and and that that's you know I look look at feed costs in a little bit of a, uh, a different view today than what I used to when I first started out in the swine industry because at that time. You could really separate producers out at, uh, pretty easily in terms of who was a high cost or, or low cost. Now there's so much that goes into the the cost per pound of gain and, and uh, what people are paying for their grain and for their soybean meal for their byproducts. For you know, it's it's it, you really have to benchmark them uh, against themselves uh, sometimes as much sometimes as compared to a lot of the rest of the industry. It's, it 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 is difficult because of there's a lot of extenuating circumstances sometimes that that lead into that. Probably the biggest thing that I want to look for in in reviewing the performance data is where are the holes at, and where where do are they falling down, um, and are there areas that the diets may be contributing to that, or, or could potentially fix some some of the areas, and and also looking for where are the areas where there's not a problem. Uh, so the the old adage, if it's not broke, don't fix it, and and there there's certainly a lot of situations where it, you get uh, I get asked in to review something uh, for a producer, review their nutrition program. And, and sometimes the answer for the, for the producer is there's nothing wrong with your nutrition program. There you, may be some other things going on in the production system, but it, it may not be that there's anything wrong with the diets.
2: How do you, how do you help the, the producer that has maybe multiple contract finishers and wants to even have a comparison within his own system or her own system about, you know, which contract grower is doing better than others and it's it's not just the feed right it's well this one's using wet dry feeders and this one's you know has two water nipples per pen versus you know four so how do you help kind of bring that all together
0: that's a good question and and I used to do an awful lot of that and and my, my job and I still do some uh, with certain producers that, that don't have somebody in-house now that does some of those comparisons for them um, but it, probably the biggest thing that we need to uh, first do uh, to try to make some of those comparisons is to make sure that we have the right data in the database and and so you know when you talk about the the water uh, type of drinkers they have or the type of feeders they have in, in uh, contract growing barns is making sure that we audit the system from with that to know what's in each of the facilities and collect all that data as much uh, and get that all gathered together and then you can do the the simple analysis and uh, the ones that that are the easiest ones are, are, are you know putting together just simple you know pivot tables and and those kind of of, of overarching views of just how do how do they compare to each other those are also can be very misleading if you if they're not done correctly and and so you always want to caution when you do in site to Comparisons and and closeout comparisons is to to think about the other variables that are included and. Many times in trying to compare um, uh, groups of, of of closeouts or or um, producers, there's a lot of confounders. In many cases, we have they're confounded with toll mills, they're confounded with with sow farm flows, they're confounded with with many different things. And so, I like to think about these uh, in your question as is, is it it helps us to figure out what questions we may want to ask. Uh, but you have to be very careful taking that as the gospel when you pull it off of a of a simple analysis of a production system and says that whoever, whichever producers have this particular water water drinker um, have better performance than, than another one. Uh, it may just be that they're also associated with your healthiest flows or your best toll mill.
2: <laughs> yep. yep. Very good point. And, and so what I'm hearing you say with the current performance data is obviously we want the key metrics, average daily gain, cost per pound, um, mortality, whatever we're analyzing, of course, within the system. But I'm also hearing very critically that it's all about records and information. So if you had a PERS break market, if you changed mills market, if you had a jump in corn basis market, right, all of that information needs to be there. And I think that's sometimes the piece we miss. Yes. Right. And and we all have good intentions, but we don't always know what's important and what's not important to, to keep track of.
0: And and that's something that that I'm always cognizant of is is in many of the systems I I, I like to have a good relationship with obviously with the system that you're working with but many times uh, in my job I don't get there as often as I would like and and anytime you have a consultant and you always have to be careful and I'm thinking about it from the consult uh, the consultant side gets a snapshot picture and and may not know all of the the those background things that are going on in in a business that that um, you you need somebody to help interpret you know what's what's happening. I sometimes can tell people, here's the trend lines, here's what happened in these particular months, Uh, but I may need their help and and help me explain to me why those things happened. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good point. Um, So in addition to understanding the metrics, it's, it's also of course about the ingredients and we hit just briefly on that with, you know, even different toll mills might be sourcing distillers from different sources, et cetera. So how do we start that process? We've identified our goals, We've reviewed the performance data and now we're really ready to start the the true audit so let's start with ingredients, how do we review that and and walk me through that thought process.
0: Yes. Yeah, so well, you think about the ingredients, and and usually I, I get the ingredient list as part of a diet formulation that that gets gets sent to and and that would include you know first thing I, I think about it in in the the major categories kind of how I think about formulation. You have your energy sources. You have your protein sources. Then you go down the list to your phosphorus and your fat sources. The vitamins and minerals, the additives, and 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 anything else you're putting in the diet, or are they buying complete diets uh, and and then, uh, from uh, from a particular supplier? And and so starting with the energy sources, you know, it, again, depending on where in the world you're located, well, it depends what the grain source is. Obviously, in the U.S., corn is our, our major grain source that that is being used. And so I, I think about there the mycotoxins and the moisture and uh, level and are there, are there, um, other other um, other major things. That, that you know, really, ingrained the energy uh, we're adding it for the diet, mostly for the energy side, and and it's even um, and you know there are some producers and production systems obviously do measure the the energy content of, of the grain, but but in most cases you're really looking at mycotoxins and and the moisture content, which is uh, are the two biggest uh, variables that we want to get our arms around. Then the other major energy source that we would have in the US is usually our byproducts or distillers grains in in most cases, the majority one now. And there I'm really interested in the oil content, uh, the crude protein to, to tell me the amino acid levels and and then also the mycotoxin, uh, potential mycotoxin levels obviously there. and. And obviously, if you get outside that right now, um, you know in Kansas wheat is uh, we're looking at the wheat harvest coming up as, as a, an opportunity to to bring wheat into a lot of our pig diets. Uh, right now, there's not a lot of wheat to be found out there other than stuff that's out in fields. Uh, but, but as that comes out of the fields, I would expect that it's going to go in our diets pretty hard for a short period of time um, uh, because of the, the cost uh, advantage to it right now compared to corn.
2: When you think about the quality of the grain in particular, and, and we're looking here, unfortunately, in the Midwest of, of seeing a drought starting to form, um, certainly we know droughts versus rainy seasons not only change mycotoxins, but they can change grain quality. Um, you know, So we have seasonal impacts. How often should our producers be analyzing their ingredients to understand the quality or potential nutrient value? I mean, I know it's not gonna tell us everything, but We need a snapshot, right?
0: Yeah, and it, it really depends on the year, and, and if when we're fortunate like we were in in 2020 and had great corn quality, uh, we we did some uh, quite a bit of analysis right around harvest time to to validate that we really didn't have a, a mycotoxin problem, and and then um, uh, really people uh, collecting samples we did, but we didn't do an awful lot of analysis um, of of many of the uh, corn samples after we knew we had pretty good quality going. Uh, the um, this year you're right, the drought has me worried about uh, you know, most of the time when we've had mycotoxin issues, it's, it's drought followed by a rainy fall is, is when we really have the difficulties is you get the damage going on with the, the ear and open it up for allowing the moisture to get in. And, and, uh, and that, I think that's, uh, we could be setting ourselves up to have some more issues again this year. In in those situations, then we have to be pretty aggressive in terms of, a, of analysis when we're uh, putting our own corn in the bin or buying grain uh, to put in the bin. Um, and looking at for whatever mycotoxin is, the major one that, that's been our concern. And that depends on the region of the country for us here in the US. Um, you know, most of the corn belt, uh, vomitoxin is is probably the primary one. Um, and certainly, zearalenone can be an issue. Um, we get in the Western parts here in Kansas or Western Nebraska uh, into Oklahoma, fumonisin is, is, is for us is a bigger issue many times that, than vomitoxin. Um, and, you get into southeast Kansas or north north central Oklahoma, um, aflatoxin can be a real problem in in some of those uh, pockets, um, and and that and so for us it's really very regionally located I think and and when I get into other countries uh, sometimes they're not as fortunate as what we are is our, ours seem to be the you know mycotoxin of the day that we're dealing with in our area um, some of those they're getting grains from all over the world and maybe dealing with a total unknown from from where. that's coming from.
2: One of the other things that that you mentioned just briefly was on vitamins and minerals. And certainly as we continue to think about foreign animal disease, we see continued longer periods of storage, not just for the individual ingredients, but then post-manufacturing of those VTM packs. What do we think about in terms of age today and how often we should be turning those over? I know that's, you know, something key we do in a feed mill audit, but even from a producer standpoint, what, they, what should they be thinking about there?
0: Yeah, that's that's a very good question, and that's it's one of those that, that um, you know we've we've for a long time, and our recommendations have been to keep the vitamins separate from the trace minerals, just precisely for that point. Is you know the trace minerals obviously will last a long time; <laughs> they're they're rocks. They'll be there be there longer than you and I are. But uh, but the the vitamins are the ones that, you know, that we get concerned about, or or any enzymes that we may be added, uh, the phytase, or if somebody puts xylanase in, those enzymes are the ones that you you worry about. When and along with the vitamins, when you Put them together with the trace minerals, uh, vitamin premixes that are by themselves, even in a final mixed form, I have no problem with six months store uh, of uh, being out on, in, a, in a mill and and without having a lot of breakdown on, on the vit- on the pure vitamins in a premix. You mix them together with trace minerals and and particularly, uh, I don't see this very much anymore. But if you put choline in there um, in in uh, with the, those uh, vitamins, the choline pulls moisture in and the combination with the trace minerals, it'll break down those vitamins much faster. And when I have those mixed together, I for sure want it used up within 60 days with, with the, the goal of having 30 days used up once it hits the mill. And so when you talk about having extended storage times for biosecurity standpoint, you'd really like that to occur before those vitamins are mixed with the trace minerals.
2: Well, that's a very good point. So as we through now we've identified our ingredients we've we've looked at them from a cost basis trying to identify what of course is most cost effective in, in our area we've looked at the nutrient value and put that into the mix as well um, now we're ready to really start to formulate those diets and so as a nutrition auditor obviously you're going to take the current diets and you're going to pick them apart and look at them so what do you look for when you're looking at formulations
0: uh, most of the time is is i really want to look at all those constraints that they have built into their formulation package um, because everybody has a, a a set of nutrient constraints that the least cost formulator uses to, to obviously to put together the the final mix and uh, what i see sometimes is is people will over constrain formulations and this gets this happens over time sometimes in production systems that or a nutritionist has uh has constraints that are put in because they ran into to a problem at one point with a particular ingredient, or or they had a um, they they were, are worried that that um, it, there's going to be a mistake if they don't have have a constraint on, on on making sure that something gets pulled in at a certain level, and and so it can sometimes force higher costs on a diet um, because uh, there's too many constraints put in, and so that, that's probably the, the one of the first things I want to check, and then you want to look at the nutrient levels and what those constraints are, and 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 the energy is probably a really good one. That, that, you know, it really sets the base for everything else in the diet. Um, but but also it's the hardest one as a nutritionist to figure out what where to set your energy level, because you have to pick a level. Um, but it, but it's it is, um it, it will, you'll drive the rest of your, your if you force in uh, a certain energy level and has to pull fat in as an example to meet that, well, today fat's very expensive to pull into the diet. And so you're driving up costs just to meet an energy spec. So if you, you lower that energy level, so you don't have to pull the fat in um, that, and, it, and but you still, you set it in, it may limit the amount of the byproducts that come in. And so so that's that becomes an iterative process really on how you set your, your energy level and maybe done separately from the actual uh, formulation process. Process, But the, then I, because um, once you set energy, that sets your lysine to calorie ratio, it sets your phosphorus to, to, to calorie ratio, it sets the ratio of all the other amino acids then to lysine, um, it is all based on what your initial energy level gets, gets uh, dictated in, in the formulation. And, and then once you have that phosphorus set to the energy, it sets your calcium level and so everything is driven off of that. Um, so you, so you got to gotta have that right in the first place.
2: One of the things I think we continue to have discussions on in in the nutrition world is really what is energy, right? Are we going to use ME? Are we going to use NE? And particularly if you're reviewing somebody else's diets, right? So you're the third-party auditor, you didn't formulate them. How do you go about looking at energy when you might be using different values than somebody else?
0: that's a very good point No, the, the thing i usually do is i try to rebuild the diets in in my um, matrix and and what i encourage nutritionists to do is is to to have their their own set of what whatever their uh, values that they want to use as loadings and they, they come from a wide variety of, of places many times they have internal values from testing uh, from their own research or whatever but i always encourage them to to um, have um, nrc loadings in their their formulation just so, as they can always go back to and look at at just how much as there's drifted from from an NRC value and then also you can look at what your final diets what would they compare on an NRC value and 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 as as university we always put our, uh, rec- our recommendations out on an, on an NRC basis uh, j- and we use those values in all of our research so that all the nutritionists in the field can know exactly where we started from and they and they can uh, can rebuild the diets and and see how it would fit in 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 their their situation and when they see our lysine levels uh they'll know where you know what the base is and where where they came from
2: yeah i think that's a really good approach for that and i think one of the other questions that i've had more recently too from others is how much leeway do you give right so if your lysine is off you know a tenth of a percent is that normal fluctuation in your formulation versus someone else's or is that too much
0: yeah that's a very good question and then and it yeah the, the pigs are very forgiving um I would say when, when in terms of um you can be. You can be a little a little lower or a little high on the amino acids in, in about any phase and they they have the ability to compensate and make up for it the only the place where I said you really don't want to be off though is, is late finishing diets so if you if you're low there you have difficult they don't have time to catch up and and don't have the ability to obviously and so uh, that's that's probably the area that 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 you you really want to pay attention to make sure that you're that you're not deficient in, in the, the late finishing diets uh, the pig simply doesn't have time to make up for any mistakes that you made earlier
2: so i i think along those lines then we we look at the diets and we feel pretty confident that the diets are formulated the way we expect but we know there is a pretty big gap yet from the time we formulate them on the computer to the time that the pig actually consumes them and so the next step in this process is really the feed mill yeah. so what do you do with the with the feed mill?
0: Yes, that's it. once I, I've got done reviewing things now it's time to go on site and actually see how things are being carried out and so the the two places obviously you want to go is you want to go to the feed mill and then you want to get into some barns and 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 see application there on the on the feed mill side the uh, you know the first thing I want to know is 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 the feed mill owned and and or, or how much of the feed is being made out of out of owned facilities versus toll mills and and getting into the the you know, obviously some systems have a lot of different different uh, feed milling being done for them. So you can't get into all of the mills. And so you wanna, as, as somebody reviewing things, I wanna get into the, the major use mills and, and take a look at what their capabilities are and what the cost structure is. Um, do they have pelleting capabilities or all the diets going out in, in mash form? Um, if they're pelleted, uh, what's the, the pellet quality and when it when it leaves the mill, what's the pellet quality out on the farms? Um, and, and in that mill as a nutritionist, the main things I'm really Looking for besides reviewing all the ingredients, making sure the ingredients in the mill are what I saw in the formulation, and that there aren't differences there or something missing that we don't have a vitamin premix that is different than what I, I thought it was, or, or that the phytase sources or or phytase inclusion in a premix or things like that, um, and the ages on the premixes, you know, reviewing all those kind of things. Uh, we also want, besides that we want to look at the particle size and how the grinding is being done. Obviously, particle size is a very important one for us on the grain uh, in terms of driving digestibility and, and improving feed efficiency. Then we also want to uh, check the scales and uh, make sure they've been audited and and validated, and that that happens on a regular basis. Uh, like to see that at least a couple times per year uh, for a feed mill, and then that the mixer has been tested as a mixer efficiency test. You yeah, at least on an annual basis that they've had had that um, tested, and and then then we want to look at some of the delivery things and just those capabilities of that mill. What are their batch sizes? Uh, what what are the uh, the distances that they haul some of the diets and the trucks how they're set up um, what are the number of diets that are feasible for them to be to be running and and in terms of the number of of overhead bins that they may have and and that particularly becomes an issue with pelleting situations and mash situations you obviously you can sometimes you, you don't have some of the same constraints you have on a, on a pellet mill
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, You mentioned particle size. How often do you want to see that from a mill? I mean, I know we'd like to see it every time feeds ground or corns ground, but realistically, what are we looking for?
0: Well, we'd certainly like the mill to be to be handling that daily. I mean, I, I, I like to see that they've got a record of of their analysis of the particle size on a daily basis with an with an in-house uh, uh, method of analysis. Um, and then uh, uh, we I encourage mills to to check with a with a third-party source um, at, at m- minimum once a month. Um, just and the main thing on the, that third-party source is just to make sure and you're, you're validating against your in-house uh, method. Of, of checking particle size. And so splitting samples and, and, and sending those out for analysis uh, to, and, and making sure, of course, that you're using the same particle size analysis as what the, the third-party source is, um, but to make sure you're not getting drift um, between your, your in-house method and, and, and what's happening in a, in a third-party source.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was one of the things, you know, I noticed is some of our mills will do a one screen test and some will use a three. And then obviously we send it off for a, a larger set of screen tests. But to even though the numbers may not exactly align because we know there's some variance between the different types of tests, as long as we we're looking at trends and patterns from a feed mill perspective, right? That gives us those clues as to what needs to be adjusted. So
0: that's exactly right. As long as you're you're, you're tracking those and, and you know doing the analysis, putting it into a spreadsheet so you can look at the the changes over time is fantastic.
2: Mm-hmm. What about the mixer? So you mentioned an efficiency test and some of our listeners may not be very familiar with what you mean by efficiency test. Can you talk through that just a little bit?
0: Yeah. And, and they can be done a number of different ways. Um, but, but basically what we're doing on a mixture efficiency test is we're just trying to, to measure how much variation is there in the final mix of the diet after you've, you've taken, you've, uh, in a normal situation, the mill may have a mix time of, of one minute, maybe a minute and a half, maybe three minutes, you know, depending on the mixer, maybe more. Um, but they, they, um, uh, we, we can do that mixture efficiency test either by, by probing the mixer, uh, in, in, uh, we, Take ten different sa- ten samples across the mixer is what you really are looking for. And then you analyze each of those uh, samples for a, an, a nutrient uh, to look at the variation between those the, those nutrients in the analysis. Most of the time, uh, instead of doing it with a sampling out of the mixer, we end up sampling out of out of the the, the truck as when when it's being um, uh, delivered into the truck. Um, we do get some you know, continual mixing in a feed mill, and uh, as it as it moves through the system and and out of out of the mill um, and and then you, you can get into all kinds of details in terms of what do you analyze and and because you can you there it's probably more accurate to get into uh, even some of the uh, some amino acids or minerals uh, like some of the zinc or uh, manganese or some of these other minerals may be more accurate uh, than than using salt which is what we use an awful lot of times and salt can work can work very very nicely as a mi- for mixer efficiency if you have a very fine particle size salt but if you if you do a large particle size salt you get you can have more variation in the analysis than you have in the mixer, so you have to be careful.
2: <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah, I think we've we fluctuated between salt and, and zinc. Zinc was usually yes. our, our go-to. Along that line, so one of the other things that, that we would periodically do is was take a feed sample from, let's say it was gestation diet for sows, right? And we always took that like once a month and we would send it in for approximate analysis. Not so much to look at mixer efficiency, but look at the variation just in those samples, maybe to help diagnose if we have any issues with feed augers or anything like that, that might be over or underestimating how much is actually going into the mix. Is that something you would still recommend or is that something that just kind of maybe isn't as valuable as we thought it was?
0: Well, I, I think the, the the thing you always have to be cautious of with any time you take a, a finished feed sample and, and analyze it is um, making sure you understand the, the variation in the lab side also and and that the uh, potential layer there and the, the way that you, you framed it in terms of how, what you're doing with the analysis makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think sometimes people wanna take a, a single analysis and then may jump to conclusions too quickly based on those results and, and probably the biggest thing if you do that, that type of a process is I would encourage people to, to find a lab that you're, that is reputable and, and you can get repeatable results. Uh, we do an awful lot of analysis in a number of different labs across the country. And, and frankly, we have, there's some labs that we just plain get a very high level of variation coming out of the lab. And, and, and then we're left with more questions than, than, than we, than we have answers in terms of was uh, was it was, what caused the problem. And then you go do a whole bunch of analysis and you follow things up and you find out that it was just a lab that cause the problem, and, and there's nothing wrong with your, your feed mill. And so uh, I, I think that's probably one of the biggest things I'd caution is, is that if you do that is is find a good lab and stay with that lab and, and do all your analysis at the same place.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point. It has to be consistent, just like everything else. Consistency will give us a better clue for those trends and patterns that we might be looking for down the road. Um, so, along those lines, then of course, we talked about the feed mill, but you also mentioned going out into the barns. So, when you do go out to the barns, Mike, what are you looking for?
0: Well, again, as a nutritionist, uh, that I've, got, I've got some particular things from a, from a feed side that I'm I'm wanting to see is is again I want to look at the diets that I, that are in in that site and see do they uh, do do they meet the that pass the smell test do they do they meet meet what you expect with your eyes and, and in terms of particle size in terms of color in terms of all the things that you're expecting to see and and then you want to look at are, are they being budgeted and delivered correctly and and sometimes the budget's a little hard to see in in a in a uh, farm setting, uh, but but you you can uh, you can talk through things with the with the people on the site also, and particularly in nurseries, this becomes really important in terms of watching how those those deliveries get made and whether they have the capability of of budgeting the pigs at the way that the f- diets were designed to be budgeted uh, across that, that that facility, and, and that and, and that really comes down to are the right diets getting put in front of the right pigs, and and that said so that talk about nurseries being a problem. Um, the guilt developers are another area that we often see this it, it's really difficult to, for people to manage the, the diet budgets that we sometimes put to get put in front of them as a nutritionist and so we got to think back to is it what, what how should we design that program so that they can actually carry it out in the farm um, the, then you get into you know the, the sow feed side you know in gestation you want to look at the, the feed box settings and 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 talk through what you know what's being dropped have they measured those boxes and, and understanding how much is being delivered, and on the sow side, walking through houses to see do the sows have feed in front of them? Um, you know what's the feeding system there? Can they easily keep feed in front of the sows uh, at all times while they're in lactation? And so, just a, a few of the things about getting the right diets to the right pigs. Then I want to look at the the feeders. That are they are they good feeder quality from the nursery finisher, whether that be in gilt developers, lactating sows. Can they eat easily out of those feeders? Are there some other things that were that are problems on the farm? Um, are they adjusted correctly for each of those feeders in those different um, settings? Um, there you you can get a little bit of a picture of of health status. Sometimes walking the farm and 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 understanding whether the the pigs are are, are whether there's issues there that that somebody maybe tell you about when you when when you can't pick it up on a piece of paper um you know i I really like to look especially on nurseries um, about fill time also and and trying to understand what their issues are the management hurdles uh, in terms of uh the fill time um because fill time has such a big impact on how we can budget diets and 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 get the diets to fit a prediction particular flow and it also drives a lot of our expectations on performance. Um, the, the uh, I, I think sometimes producers don't understand just how much those last fills into a barn, how slow those pigs grow compared to the first fills. And even when you take them on the same days post fill, uh, we've looked at that in a number of our research trials, and and those last pigs in always have higher mortality and 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 a lower growth rate uh, than than the f- first pigs into the into that barn.
2: Yeah, I think you bring up some really good points on the nurseries and I agree. It's something that by the time we get those last pigs in, the front pigs are on cruise control essentially, right? They've made it through that first difficult week and and they're growing and they're doing well. And so as a, a person in the barn, it's sometimes easy to miss those pigs on the back end of the barn when you've already paid attention to the fact that the front group is, is doing well. So I think that brings up a, a very good point and certainly just the budgets in general I've encountered that multiple times of, well, am I going to do bagged feed for that first diet or am I going to do a bin? And you know, how many pounds per pig do I estimate so that I'm not paying too much for deliveries if I'm doing a bin and so forth? So I think that's exactly right. The other place that I've seen challenges is really in the gestation barn. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've been told, well, this is how much we're feeding. But when you go out into the barn, they're feeding something completely different. And and it's not, I mean, there is some concern, obviously, if they're overfeeding, but I'm more concerned in gestation if they're underfeeding, because then, of course, our minerals aren't set appropriately for that animal. And so I think, you know, being out in the barn and, and seeing that, smelling the feed and the feeders, right, making sure that that everything is fresh and clean and and being done, as you expect, is really important.
0: That's exactly right.
2: Yeah. So I think that's that's a really great discussion on, you know, again, making sure we're always getting in those barns and, and it's not to, to tell people they're doing something wrong, but to figure out how we can marry the two parts together better so that we're doing everything that, that works for that producer and and their business. Um, One of the last things I wanted to talk to you about today is really, you know, as you mentioned, you go around the world, you've seen a lot of different things. So if you think about a universal, Um, situation, we think about some of the common mistakes that we see from nutrition and, and feed auditing and management. What do you, what do you identify today as those biggest mistakes?
0: Well, that's that's a that's a good good question on I mean, and the, the um each area is a little bit different but i think there are some overarching ones that i see in almost almost every country for sure but and 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 an awful lot of production systems and nursery pig wise it's uh the, probably the the one area where we continually struggle is getting pigs started on feed and that and that that's a uh, been a problem for us for quite a while now and 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 but but probably the biggest mistake that people are making is is on the other side of the nursery is oftentimes we see that the diets are too complex or there's too much cost in the late nursery. People get very nervous and worried about the cost of those first nursery diets, but they're used at such low levels that it doesn't drive the overall cost of a production system very much. Um, but if you add, increase the cost of the late diet very much, uh, you, you start driving up costs very quickly. When you get into finishers, uh, it the big one is is not taking advantage of the lowest cost energy and protein sources, and that that isn't as much of a problem for us here sometimes in the U.S. because we're sometimes fairly constrained by what we have available in our, our in terms of energy and protein sources. But we can even see that here um, with people that that are nervous about going to too high levels of some byproduct, or uh, and so they they give up a lot of potential uh, of cost savings. But particularly, I see that in, in other countries around the world where they have very low cost, particular grain, but they want to force in a higher cost uh, grain source just because the nutritionist is more comfortable with it. And so, so you want to be careful in those kind of things. And then feeder adjustments. Uh, our feeders have gotten much better quality uh, around the world, um, but I still see a lot of issues with feeders that 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 are either uh, plugged out of feed events um, or the other extreme that the feeders are, are terribly full and 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 wasting feed. Um, and, and particularly when uh, when we get to the time right before market or during the topping, uh, when we have uh, big pigs in the pen and we start to reduce the pressure on that feeder uh, while taking some of the pigs out of that pen, we can waste an awful lot of feed pretty quickly. And on, as you mentioned on the south side, I, I, th- I think getting the right levels of feed to the to the sows in gestation um, is 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 can be an awful a problem um, with overconditioning animals. Uh, you know, most of the time, people in the barn want to feed them more than what they need, and and so you know, uh, gilts in particular having not been too heavy at first mating, and then overfeeding them um, and 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 thinking that they need more need more feed than they do. Um, you're you're right. I do see. Sometimes underfeeding. Most of the time, uh, when I see the underfeeding, it may be that they're on a uh, a particular budget that they uh, that the sow farm is only supposed to use a certain amount of feed, and so they they're trying to limit themselves there, um, or they just simply don't know and have the boxes set wrong. Um, it can certainly happen too. And, and probably the overarching one uh, that that is that I think sometimes happens with creep in in diets, but um, feed additives that find their way into diets uh, that don't have research backing them, um, and and that's uh, that's one. Uh, there's a lot of pressure to reduce mortality or to improve growth or improve feed efficiency, and so people uh, want to look for that magic bullet to help do some of those things. And there are some excellent feed additives out there with proven data that shows that they give responses, but there's also a lot of additives that there simply isn't research data that find their way into diets. And and so that's where I see costs sometimes driven up in production systems or Mm unleadlessly.
2: Yeah, you bring up some very good points that I think we should all be thinking about. Um, We've talked about a lot today, Mike. And and so what I'd like to ask is just for a couple of key points you would like um, our listeners to remember from today.
0: Well, I think the, the overarching things we talked about is making sure that we, that you, know, you understand what the overall goals is for the production system and and the, make sure we, we are hitting our performance targets. And if not, um, start reviewing the, the ingredients, the formulation to make sure that they're not a piece of the reason that you're not hitting the targets. And then all you have to take that the steps further of looking at whether we're doing anything wrong in the feed mill um, uh, to, uh, that may be causing some of the issue and then finally um, you know getting down into the execution is there anything from the nutrition program on how it's being carried out in the barn that could be contributing and like I mentioned earlier it, it might be found that there's absolutely nothing wrong with the nutrition program but if you go through those steps and and you double check each of the the pieces in the nutrition program you can at least maybe check that off the list as not being the highest priority for changes and look at some of the other management issues that may be
1: may be coming into the system. It is time to our famous three. The truth is precision swine production is not the future, it is the present. Every Pig is the intelligent pig health platform. It is a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Request a free 20-minute demonstration at www.everypig.co slash Ivonik stands for a holistic and sustainable value proposition for livestock production. It combines products and services and leverages digital solutions. This is all backed with high-value consultancy and deep customer understanding. Ivonik turns science-based efficient nutrition, sustainable healthy nutrition, and precision livestock farming into value for customers and consumers. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com.
2: Well, as we wrap up our discussion today, Mike, as you know, we like to ask a couple of similar questions to all of our guests on the podcast. Uh, The first one I'd like to ask you is, do you have a particular swine resource book that you're currently using that you'd recommend to, to people?
0: Well, I'll I'll use the same resource that I told Marcio the first time we did the, did the, uh, an episode with them is uh, the nutrient requirements of swine. The NRC is 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 really one that I, I use. I mean, there's an awful lot of books on swine that I use quite a bit, but that's that's one that I, I use all the time. And and as I mentioned during the the episode here, that that we we refer back to that on a regular basis to see how how what we're doing with particular nutrient values, how that's changed over time, um, and and on the you there's a lot of nutrients there. The other one I would give a shout out for is Hans Stein with his website and some of the things he's done with nutrient values um, to help keeping us updated. We've, we use that an awful lot to, to see where things may have moved over time too.
2: Yeah, that's a great resource, the website. I know I use it a lot for digestibility values in particular. That's something that, that I've enjoyed using. Um, how about uh, a non-swine book? Are you currently reading something that you'd like to, to share with the audience?
0: Well, the one I just finished uh, that that I have to thank you and, and Larry Roof for point, pointing me towards this is, is uh, Larry uh, had talked about on his uh, episode with you as a brief history of everyone who ever lived, and so I I um, got, got that one on on tape and and listened to it on the way back and forth to work and you know, over the last couple of weeks that's Adam Rutherford's book that it I, I Larry talked pretty highly of it and I, I totally agree with him. It was uh, it was an excellent book and and I I would I would have highly recommend that one to anybody that's interested in in the science of of, um, genealogy and and where we all came from. uh, Learned a lot of nice lessons in that one. Besides that, I want to give you a new one, though, um, that, that you haven't maybe heard of. Um, I, uh, we have a, a one that um, my wife, Lisa, and I are reading together um, because we know the producer quite quite well uh, here in Kansas. At uh, J6 Farms, uh, John Kramer has recently um, uh, wrote, um, really, it's kind of his life story, 30 Pigs in a Plan, and it's it's available on uh, several of the different um, fronts. Now, I think Amazon has has that available, and it's it really goes into how he built his, uh, the J6 Enterprises from from nothing from the start. And John's an inspirational guy that, that I've, I've, I've learned an awful lot from in terms of, you know, how to build a business that, that what he's done with his family is quite impressive.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds really interesting. I'll have to pick that book up. Um, the last thing I, I have on my my question list, of course, is if you could think of a defining characteristic of somebody that, that you view as successful within the industry, what characteristic sticks out in your mind?
0: Well, I, I've um, the ones I've i've you know used in this area as, as the team player is, is kind of towards the top of my list um, and and that and, um, work ethic and responsiveness uh, that being very adaptive um, and and inquisitive uh, in wanting to know the why uh, something occurs or why something is wrong and then having a passion for what you're doing and so i think if you if you can couple uh, you know those things together into uh, for me uh, it's pretty hard not to be successful if you you have all those attributes.
2: Perfect. Those are certainly a great, great list of characteristics. And again, Mike, I do want to thank you for your time for our audience today. This is Dr. Mike Tokash from Kansas State University. Um, Again, Mike, thank you for your time. and, And we look forward to having you on the podcast again someday.
0: Thank you, Laura. It was my pleasure.
1: Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact by bringing from hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of swine nutrition on this seven week long elite online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding. It's conducted by myself, Dr. Marcia Gonsalves and my world-class invited speakers. Additionally, you enjoy an exclusive community to exchange ideas. Go now to www.eliteswinenutritionist.com.